Hey guys, it's Michelle, registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, and your host of this podcast, where we are talking all things intuitive eating, active living, and breaking down what's true versus what's myth so that you can focus on simple and sustainable ways to actually improve your health and wellness. This is the first episode of 2023. Very exciting. Um, we are talking, and by we, I mean me, I'm talking to Stephanie Roth Goldberg, who is an incredible sports psychologist in New York City, just the expert on mental health and sport. I wanted to talk to her about uh, maintaining your mental health through athletics, as well as the overlap of both eating disorders and disordered eating in sport, because it's something that she and I both see so much in our work in our private practices. And I do want to note that this was recorded many months ago. Um, I believe at like the end of the summer in 2022. So at the time I was still training for the New York City Marathon, which if you follow me on Instagram or TikTok, you know, I did not run the marathon. Um, and, you know, I think the fact that that happened not that it was like for social media that I didn't run. Um, it really was the best choice for me, but I think it's just really fitting with this conversation that I ended up making that decision because it really did come down to prioritizing my health, both physical and a big part of it was mental health. You know, it was just becoming too much. Um, I mentioned in our conversation that last year I got kind of carried away with racing and really burnt out on running and needed to take a break before enjoying it again. And I thought I had enough of a break and I just didn't, you know, going into marathon training at the end of a year where I had done a lot of races was still too much. So I stopped training for the marathon in the beginning of October, I believe. Yeah. So that last month before the race, I was no longer training and haven't really done. So it is January now. I haven't really done a long run since then. Um, the longest run I did I ran seven miles actually just the other day with a friend and just because we were chatting and talking so much that, you know, I didn't even look at my watch, didn't look at the distance or pace or anything and then noticed, oh my gosh, wow, that's the longest I've run honestly since marathon training and I was sore the next day. So I've been taking quite a break, which has been good. Just really what I needed to switch things up. So if that's you and you relate to needing to change things up, feeling burnt out, even though it's the beginning of the year when we're quote unquote supposed to be setting new goals and starting new routines, let this be a permission slip for a break. Permission to take more time off, to continue a break that maybe you started over the holidays, just rest and recoup and make sure you're in the right mindset for whatever it is you want to do. And another um, part of this conversation that you're about to hear with Stephanie that I love and think is so important to just keep talking about is finding balance between being intuitive with your exercise choices and pushing yourself in a healthy way. Because there's a lot of rhetoric, I think, especially on social media, that any type of pushing yourself, anything quote-unquote forceful, and I don't even like that word, but if you need to motivate yourself at all because there's any piece of you not wanting to do a workout, then it's automatically disordered. And I just disagree with that. I don't think it's true. I think that there are plenty of times that we do need to push ourselves and motivate ourselves and get past that initial mental block. And we do end up really benefiting from the workout. So 
Stephanie and I talk so much about that um, and just really normalize what a healthy mindset and routine with exercise looks like, as well as the importance of having healthy mindset tools outside of exercise. So there's a lot of good juicy stuff packed in here. I hope you love this conversation. If you do, please leave a rating and review and listen to the old episodes, come back for the future episodes, as well as DM me on Instagram and let me know what else you want to hear. But for now, I've rambled enough. Let's get into the episode. Hi, Stephanie. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. I'm excited to chat. Um, We have lots to talk about, but before we dive in, can you introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what you do? Yeah, my name is Stephanie Roth Goldberg. I am a psychotherapist um, and eating disorder specialist in New York City. I have a private practice and I run a small group practice um, focused, everyone at the practice is specialized in eating disorders, with some other subspecialty. So for example, I work with eating disorders amongst athletes. Um, I have been in practice over a decade at this point. And uh, I I like to think of myself as a New Yorker, but I left the city last year. (laughs) Um, But my practice is still in the city. And uh, I don't know, I'm an athlete. I'm a mom. Awesome. Yeah, you are like the therapist eating disorder specialist for athletes in New York City, which is amazing and why I wanted to chat with you. Um, So before diving into specifics of like what you see in your practice, can you tell us about your history in sports, kind of how you ended up in this niche? I know both of us love being active. We were just talking about marathon running, (laughs) how fun it is, which is an unpopular opinion, I'm sure. Um, So yeah, share with us a bit of like what made you love sports and athletics. Yeah, well, how I got into this professionally, um, I have I had been an eating disorder specialist. Um, it was sort of my postgraduate specialty, and I got a lot of education. I currently teach in some psychoanalytic institutes on um, eating disorders, um, but I am a triathlete, and I was training with a few different folks, a few different teams, and teammates of mine who were dietitians or doctors would say to me, like, you know, like on a bike ride, you know, I have this client and do you, what would you, what do you think? Do do I need to refer them to someone? Um, And I was getting all of these, what I think of as organic referrals for athletes. And I really loved it. So I thought, oh, I got to, I have to get more education specifically in working within the eating disorder and athletic population within sports. Um, so I did that, but it always feels like the most organic thing that happened, um, that I get to do exactly what I love. Um, so that's how I fell into that specialty specifically. Amazing. I feel like I've almost been similar cause I've had a more recent kind of shift towards realizing like, wow, I love sports nutrition and talking to athletes and Similarly, like since really entering the running world and doing my first marathon last year, I've noticed just so much of the unfortunate overlap in underfueling, undereating, disordered eating, eating disorders, and running. I mean, especially any like endurance sports, I think it's yes. really common, as well as, of course, aesthetic sports. Um, is that the right word? That's the right word, right? Like gymnastics, yeah. figure skating, all of that. Yes. Um, 
and just realizing like how many clients I had who have that experience of sport contributing to an eating disorder. So what do you see most commonly as the kind of evolution of an eating disorder in an athlete? What are the contributing factors? How does someone develop that um, disorder? So I think you make a really good point about sports that are sort of aesthetically focused um, because I think that's a different trajectory. You know, people who have been dancers their whole life, it's sort of drilled into them very early that what they look like really matters and people are giving them um, advice on how to remain as small as possible and um, tying that to their success. Yeah, Um, things I've heard, and I'm sure you too, from clients that the, the quotes they have from their coaches, I like my mind is blown every time. I'm like, wait, someone said that to you about you need to lose weight, you need to be thinner, you need to blah, blah, blah. Especially in, you know, the dance world. It's, I think, especially uh, mean sometimes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And gymnastics too, which you pointed out. Yeah. And, and actually wrestling is um, right. such a weight focused sport also. But um, I think primarily the folks who are going to be listening to this are endurance athletes. So um, but you're right. Like a lot of it comes from coaches, um, and, or teammates, if you're running with a college team or, or, you know, high school cross country. And then I work also a lot with adults who are athletes in their sort of like free time, but also quite competitive. And it does happen there too, even whether it's, you know, I think less so coaches now, I think it's, you know, it's even in the coaching handbook for run coaches. Um, if you've done that certification or if you get it, like stay in your lane. Uh, yeah. I don't know how many people follow that, but I feel as right. though it's in the culture now. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, but I think teammates too, if you go on a run at any group, you hear people sort of trading all of these, right? all this misinformation. Right. I think there's a lot of misinformation as well as, lack of information because there are so many people going out for long runs, not knowing that you need to fuel or how much you need to fuel and just running half marathons on nothing. And it's normalized. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So do like when, if ever, do your clients kind of learn about like fueling for exercise or do they typically come to you with like, wait, I didn't even know I needed to do that. I think that when primarily clients that come to me at this point are referred from someone who knows me or they perhaps found me online, but um, they know that I specialize within athleticism with eating disorders. So they come to me either knowing like maybe they have reds, they've had suffered a number of fractures, that kind of thing, or they know like, I'm struggling with food so much. I know I need to be fueling more and I can't get myself to do it. Um, I hear that a lot or I hear a lot of like, I want to be able to let go of my body image stuff, but I can't seem to divorce it from how I think I, you know, am as a runner or an athlete. Um, so I think that often when they come to me, um, there is some insight. Right, right. And I like that you pointed out that level of struggle that I can't, 
I just can't do that. You know, I know what I need to do or just maybe not I know specifically what to do, but I know that things need to be different and it's so hard, which to me signals kind of the red flag. Okay, eating disorder. What are some things that you would tell people to look out for that can indicate, okay, this is serious. This could be an eating disorder. And, you know, I don't think the diagnosis is the most important thing, but full-blown eating disorders are very common in athletes. So what are those kind of markers for someone who's listening that, yeah, you might need help? I often say this, like, I think if someone is struggling with the idea, do I need help? That's the biggest red flag that we have or within ourselves. Um, if you're asking that question, then the answer is probably yes, or at least go get help before, you know, it gets quote unquote worse and you, you feel as though at that point you really need help. So I often think when people begin to think about it, that's the, that's the biggest red flag um, that happens at least sort of by themselves, let's say. Yeah. The, the, you know, the red flags that would be flagged by almost anyone, right, are like multiple stress fractures is a huge one. Um, lack of menstruation can be a big one for um, people who menstruate. Um, and then I think the other thing is like the obsession and rigidity around food. Um, I had a client say to me recently, like, you know, I was out for frozen yogurt with a friend and I really wanted to have frozen yogurt, but I was just having such a battle in my mind. I got it. I didn't even enjoy it because I was battling with myself of like, can I eat this? What do I have to do if I eat this? Um, So I think those mental struggles are really a, a big sign also. It is a big sign. And it's something that I see many people struggling with and something that I emphasize to clients that even if you are eating what looks like a quote unquote normal quantity of food. So like, yes, you're eating the frozen yogurt, but you have the judgment and the labels of it and the mindset that's still restrictive, that mental restriction, regardless of what you're doing physically, still really messes with things. Totally. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I want to circle back to reds and the lack of menstruation because this is such an issue. Um, so another thing that, again, is just so normalized and even myself, you know, I lost my period in high school. I was a three season athlete and my doctor said, oh, you're active. So can you define reds for everyone and kind of talk about what the things are to look out for in that case? Yeah, red st- stands for relative energy deficiency in sports. Um, and it is not only for females. I want to really preference that because I think it is talked right. about in a way that is only for females. But, um, you know, f- for men, actually, some of the signs are are similarly, similarly hormonal. Like maybe you don't have an erection very often or your testosterone is low. Um and those kind of markers that might be less obvious. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, there's so many signs. There's the ones that are more severe, like bone density loss, which is generally diagnosed after, again, multiple fractures or things like that. Um, lack of menstruation is a big one. And then there's just, again, like if you think of the name, an energy deficiency, like you're tired all the time you're cranky all the time. You like, you can't sort of regulate that, um, 
whether emotionally or by trying to do more, like sleep more. Um, and it, and it comes from a lack of like sort of over-exercising and lack of fueling, um, right. are the main ways that people develop that. Yeah. Those mental signs are so key and they really overlap, which I'm just realizing now or putting together in my head. Those are all the things that I tell clients are the subtle signs of hunger, right? Like being low energy, being cranky, not being able to focus. All of that, even if your stomach's not growling, can mean you're hungry, can mean you're undernourished in that energy deficit. So yeah, it absolutely aligns. Yeah. And I think actually we're so used to ignoring our hunger that when people talk about hunger cues, like you and I are both intuitive eating counselors, I think Mm -hmm. I am. Um, and you know, when people talk about hunger cues, I think everyone thinks about what you were just saying, like my stomach's growling and there's so many cues other than that, that we're so used to ignoring that we don't generally identify. And I think it's a helpful thing to point out. Yeah. We're very used to ignoring it. And I, I always say it's so funny, like hunger is the body signal that we are taught to question when we don't do that with anything else if you have to go to the bathroom nobody says maybe you're just bored right but like with hunger we do you know it's so interesting i said that to a client recently and she said i think i would feel embarrassed if i had to pee like so frequently that maybe i wouldn't like maybe you know (laughs) and i thought oh this is the example i always use yeah um but you know people are really sometimes very hyper focused on what they think other people think yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, that is interesting. I am very hydrated and I think I pee pretty often, <laughs> but depending on your situation, it can be something that you overthink. Yeah. Yeah. But I think generally you also tend to it because it's like very present of a feeling. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And hunger is so ignored. And another thing that comes up um, with athletes in particular is hunger cues just being different because of timing of practices or workouts, and they can't always rely on hunger and fullness. I know I talk about that with a lot of clients. Um, How do you help people handle that mental state and that kind of, whether it's confusion, doubt, frustration of, you know, I'm eating when I'm not hungry, this feels so wrong. Yeah, you know, I think one of the things I like to work with people on, um, and this is one of the differences I think between um, a therapist and a dietitian, right? Like, mm-hmm. I help. I want them to focus on what am I feeling before I eat, and I will have them journal a bit about that, whether it's like a lack of concentration or because um, I think we do often have cues that, again, like we're not noticing. So one of the things I have people do is really like spend one minute, whether it's writing an email to yourself or writing a note in your phone, um, keeping some kind of log. So then you can begin to identify patterns. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think when people say I'm eating when I'm not hungry, a lot of times they are actually hungry. It's those other signs. Yeah. Um, But I also think to your point, like an education around, okay, you might not be hungry and here's why. Um, Like so many people say they're not hungry after a long run. And we know that there's a reason for that. Your hormones hormones do get a bit 
suppressed those hunger hormones. Um, so I often work around too, like, what are the goals? Why, why would you eat when you aren't hungry? And how do we hold those in mind? Mm-hmm. Um, because I think also holding your future self in mind, even if that's you in one hour in a work meeting, you want to be able to be as present as possible and you might not have an opportunity to eat for the next several hours. You do have to eat when you're not hungry. Right. Absolutely. It's that what I often call the logical part of intuitive eating. Like you do have to plan. Yeah. 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 So what are some of those reasons and benefits for a future self? If someone is listening and is like, well, yeah, but I get through my workday fine. You know, I also believe that many times you don't know how bad you feel till you feel better. (laughs) So what are the, the goals people have their reasons and the differences that you really see in people? Yeah, I think some of the goals, well, if we're talking about with athletes, right, the goals might be that you want to complete your training cycle for the day or for the week or for, you know, the season. Um, And this is where the like, I want to and I can't seem to get to. I think many, if not most athletes do know they need more food and they know particularly they might need more carbohydrates and they struggle with that. So sometimes I also have people like make a post-it or something that they can stick on their wall of like, here's the goals. Here's what I want to accomplish in the next, whatever it could be, day, week, month, or all of those. Um, And remembering that eating right now is going to help with that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, again, if you can journal, like sometimes I'll have people, I'll say for three days, just eat whatever, like what your dietitian has, you know, suggested or eat at the frequency in which that's suggested to you and just journal and see how you feel. And let's get in touch with what that looks like for you. And a lot of people can generally buy into trying something for like two to three days. The short term buy-in. Yeah. That's a great, a great idea and a great way to really see that because I, I do also tell people a lot, you know, you you know the alternative, right? You know what it feels like to restrict. You know what it feels like to underfuel. So let's just see if it's different. You can always go back to what you were doing if it's not better, but right. worth a shot, right? Right. Yeah. So doing those like trial and error experiments on yourself, super helpful. I would totally agree. Yeah. And I think, again, like holding in mind the reason, and I say this to people all the time, like, or I'll go back to, you know, the, the first, the the sheet I have folks fill out when they first come to me, like, Mm -hmm. let's remember why you're here. Like, you know, let's remember what the goal was initially and hold that in mind. It's really easy to forget those things. So um, I think anytime we can take someone's own voice and own words um, and help them amplify those or remember that. Um, that's when probably folks are the most successful. Absolutely. That big picture. Why? And then you can come up with as many reasons as you want that are maybe more short term and small scale to help with the motivation along the way. And yeah. And with exercise, especially, you know, so many people will ask me, well, is it better to do fasted workouts? Then I'm going to burn more fat, blah, blah, blah. I know <laughs> you're laughing. You get this a lot too, right? <laughs> yeah. And I like, yes, we could get into the nitty gritty science of all the numbers of like, what's going to be different and look at the studies. 
But zooming out a little bit, think about how will you feel in your workout? Will you be able to finish your workout or will you be more tired if you don't have even like half a bagel, a banana beforehand, you know, like, Mm -hmm. is it worth whatever small percent of fat loss that maybe would happen to struggle? Plus like, I mean, there are so many other things I could go off on with like the whole fat thing and you're going to break down muscle and blah, blah, blah. But thinking about how you feel and that goal of how you want to feel and perform is I think helpful and like more motivating perspective. Yeah, I think something, and I imagine you struggle with this too, that people have a really hard time linking, um, is their hunger later in the day. Like, I think when people do fasted workouts, a lot of times they are more hungry later on. Um, And it's so hard for them to connect those two, to your point about how much misinformation there is out there and all of um, this. So yeah, it's that whole, like I'm binging at night, but I don't understand because I'm healthy all day. Well, healthy is probably not enough. (laughs) Your, your picture of healthy. Exactly. That definitely comes up a lot. Yeah. So shifting a little bit, talking about the workouts, the actual physical training. Um, I want to talk about this with you and help people get a perspective on how they can check in with themselves and know if they are choosing to train or not from a healthy place, because there's a lot of rhetoric in the intuitive eating world to listen to your body, take a break, take a rest day, which is so important to emphasize. And sometimes it can be emphasized to the point where people then are left questioning, well, what if I do have a goal of a race or a competition and I like do have a, a training plan that I need to follow. So what are your thoughts on pushing yourself in a healthy way versus overexercise and finding I, that line? Yeah. I love this question. Um, I think there is also a lot of rhetoric in the intuitive eating world that having a training plan is not intuitive. I have gotten into Absolutely. this argument quite a few times. <laughs> um, and I think that's completely incorrect. And I think, um, it's sort of why I also think a lot of people believe that athletes can't be intuitive eaters. Like it's not so rigid on the, you know, it's not as rigid as I think people believe, but I think, you know, at first when someone's healing from an eating disorder, you do have to learn to listen to your body and it may be ill advised or dangerous for you to have a training plan. Uh, and I think, if a client can feel supported in that the goal is to get you back to whatever your sport is, because mm-hmm. um, that can be really hard. So sometimes people do need to not have any structure to take a, you know, a break from exercise altogether. Um, but if someone is feeling what, whatever, whether it's their weight restored or they're not purging anymore or anything like that, Um, I think that keeping the goal in mind is helpful. So if you are over-exercising, generally your goal gets a little muddied. Like Mm -hmm. you're probably not training properly for a marathon if you're over-exercising, right? Like, um, so, and I think the goal then gets muddied with, are you exercising because of a body image concern or are you exercising to meet this goal? Mm-hmm. Because you don't generally need as much as someone might be doing. Right. 
Um, and sometimes that requires like peeling sort of the layers of one's body image concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, but I think if someone has a structured plan, you know, the fact is, as you, as you said in the beginning, like you and I are people who think marathon training is fun. A lot of people don't. Um, if you can hold in mind the goal and that seems fun to you, or that is, there's some reason that that is going to bring you some kind of fulfillment or joy, then it's easier to get through some of the workouts. Um, I also think though, if someone is pushing themselves all the time and miserable during every workout, that's like a big red flag that either that's not the sport for them. This is not the season for them to be doing that. Um, and I think a lot of times the different, like people don't get enough sleep and they don't eat enough food. So the, I'm pushing myself when I don't want to work out can be sort of converted back to like, okay, let's look at why you never feel like exercising. If you have signed up for this, whatever team or race or something like that. Um, yeah, especially if it's something that you used to enjoy or like, you know, you enjoy because I mean, even just for myself, that's from a place of over exercise. But last year was the first time I really started running races because I, I always thought, why would I pay to run? I can run for free. (laughs) And then I did the marathon and I was like, okay, I get it. (laughs) I'm in and just signed up for so many races because I was so excited that I realized I wasn't enjoying running. And I was like, this is not normal. Let me take a break. And then after a break, I was like, okay, I miss it. I'm back. (laughs) So yeah, that mindset shift is, is really key. And I think to your, you know, to your experience points to the idea, like sometimes taking a break is the thing that will help you sort of reconnect with why you are doing something. Right. Um, But yeah, I mean, I also think if you are forcing yourself to do everything on your training plan, um, you may be ignoring your body too much. Like it is very normal to need to skip a workout, shift something because you didn't get enough sleep, you work event, your kids were up, whatever it is. Um, So I think sometimes also allowing yourself that, I don't know, um, just allowing yourself to be a little more flexible is is helpful also. Can you give an example of a situation where maybe you have done this or where you would tell someone, no, I actually think you do want to like go forward with the workout. This doesn't seem like a time that you can just be flexible. Not that you can't be flexible, but a time when it's like, okay, maybe we just need to motivate a little bit, get it done, know that they're not all going to be perfect. Yeah. I mean, there are plenty of times that I do that. Um, Mm -hmm. Oftentimes for me, that's like when I'm out of routine for whatever reason. Um, and like, oh, do I want to do this? Do I not? Like, and then I find myself kind of having this big debate that I'm like, okay, obviously I'm not going back to sleep. I'm not tired enough. Um, I do, I'm a big believer in doing a body scan. So nothing in my body hurts. Um, and I have a seven minute rule for myself. So I always give myself seven minutes. Like if I, I'll start something. So I'll say, if I can't decide if I want to do it or not, why don't I do it for seven minutes? And then if at seven minutes, I'm sort of like, why am I doing this? This is miserable. Then I bail. But more times than not, seven minutes in, I am happy that I am 
you know, sort of doing what I wanted to do for me, exercise often like structures my day. Um, and it's one of the only times I get alone time. So I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, or conversely, it's sometimes the only socializing I get. So <laughs> yeah, those are helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do have clients that were, they will be tortured by the fact like, I haven't worked out. I haven't worked out. I really wanted to, and I haven't. Um, and sometimes it is about breaking down that belief of like, okay, then either can you let go of the idea that you want to exercise or how do we get you to do it? Um, and a lot of times it's finding something new. Um, like maybe they used to enjoy running, but they don't anymore, but they actually can always motivate to go to a yoga class. Um, there's no set of activities that quote unquote count. And I often will change the phrasing from exercise to physical activity because that mm-hmm. can be a little less attached to the gym or the treadmill or something that someone might be more likely to have a negative relationship with. Totally. I like that physical activity. Yeah. I also think it's important to use exercise and to like get the negative stigma away from it. So I use both, but it can it can be a good like kind of stepping stone into broadening the possibilities of what you can do for exercise totally. or physical activity. <laughs> Yeah. And I think a lot of people like in the intuitive eating world would say like that pushing yourself is really not intuitive, but I think then um, it's also not intuitive to ignore sort of goals that you might have or things that you want to discover about yourself. Um, Absolutely. And you find so much of that in sport, you know, right, right after I, this is so common, the like post marathon blues, but right after the marathon last year, I was like, what is my sense of purpose? What am I doing? Like I miss having a goal that's really motivating me, showing me like, oh my gosh, wow, I can do this. I can do this every week. Um, So it certainly can have mental positives as well as, I'm sure you hear this just as much as I do, um, mental health benefits. And so many people will tell me whether they're an athlete or not that, well, exercises my time when I can de-stress and it decreases my anxiety and it really helps clear my head and just with my mental health. So, I mean, that's absolutely true. Mm -hmm. And if it's the only thing someone has, then it's dangerous, right? So what are the things um, that you suggest to people or have seen helpful for people to like also deal with anxiety, manage stress in a way that will, I don't know if I want to say like a way that will feel similar to exercise, but sometimes like that high intensity is what somebody wants for like anxious thoughts. And if it's a time of overtraining or under fueling in a break is warranted, um, what can people do instead? Great question. Um, I actually think one of the things people have to learn to tolerate is that not everything is going to be that high intensity and um, that can't be the only outlet. Um, Whether it's that you are doing that, but you've already done that today. Now you have some other stressor. Um, So I actually think one of the biggest things to learn is the tolerance of, okay, I got to find something else and it might not feel as good as I think um, whatever high intensity exercise feels like, um, because 
to a question that we, I don't think we've gotten to yet, but like, this is one of the distinctions between over-exercising and having a balanced or healthy relationship with exercise is the ability that it, that it is not your only emotional regulation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something folks need a lot of help with. So something I do often with people is I have them make what I call a toolkit. Um, and in that put things that might help them that they might not think to stand up and go get. So in that it might be arts and crafts. Um, one of the things one of my clients did once I thought was so genius was she walked around and got like a few gift certificates for herself at the local nail salon at a local massage place. Um, because she was like, I know myself, I won't sort of go and do it and pay for it in the moment, but if I have it, that is so smart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, I've I've told her the you know the amount of people I've had copiers. <laughs> um, but a journal I keep in there like a list of friends that maybe I always want to catch up with and don't feel mm-hmm. like I either make the time for or have the time for um, other things that might be causing you anxiety and then solving for them even if that's not the sort of stressor in the moment um, because I think you you can't exercise is not always the answer. Um, and it's not always accessible. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Doing my nails is a favorite for me personally. (laughs) Yeah. And so you mentioned, um, friends, social connection, and you also mentioned kind of the social aspect of running or just any sport. And that's something I also want to touch on. And I was thinking about this. So a while ago I listened to a podcast I think the show is called like, is it a cult? I have a weird obsession with cults. I think they're just fascinating. And, but they kind of do it in like a, a funny way of like, Oh, the cult of CrossFit, the cult of like soul cycle, whatever. And one of the episodes was the cult of running. And I felt very called out. (laughs) But one thing they talked about was like, your only friends are your running friends and blah, blah, blah. And this is very easy for people to fall into where like they're, social life, their, their everything gets wrapped up in a sport. And then let's say an injury happens and they can't go on the run and see the people. So in terms of like big picture, just life balance, are there things that you tell people to look out for in that sense to make sure that like they just have an overall balanced life that's not like obsessive and disordered? Yeah, I think one of the things, one of the exercises I like to do with people who are injured or who are just sort of like, whatever my sport is, everything, I only hang out with people who do this, Mm -hmm. um, is do like an identity pie chart so that they can recognize that that's likely not true, that they probably have a job, hopefully a job that they like. If not, could they be pursuing something that they like? Um, You know, I imagine they have other friends, whether it's like high school friends or college friends or work friends. Um, And so sometimes I have people sort of sit and do that exercise, like to remind them that because generally, unless perhaps professionally you are a coach or professionally an athlete, you do have other things going on. You just have to lean into them. Yeah. That's a great idea. And then just kind of like shifting uh, percentages of that pie. Exactly. That's awesome. Like I should do that. <laughs> I think I have a lot. 
that's great. Baking bread, all the th- random things I've started doing. Exactly. Yeah, that are enjoyable. Yeah, um, yeah. And I also think that when someone's injured, they can still hang out. Like building the tolerance of still spending time with their friends is really important also because otherwise is that truly a friendship that you, you know, it's so fragile in that way. Like it can be painful, but usually if someone has gone from someone you run with to a run friend, for example, it's because there's other things you connect about. There's other ways that you like to spend time that they like to spend time. Um, And I imagine there's also a need for tolerance of like hearing about running when you're not able to do it. Right. Which can be hard. And I think that maybe you could not go to like the post run, I don't know, meal, but then you could still see your friends on your own. Right. Right. Absolutely. Just kind of structuring around like different activities, which I even suggest to people who are, um, you know, very early on struggling with their food. Maybe they don't go out to eat with their friends. Maybe they, you know, go to a concert instead. Mm, Right. Exactly. Yeah. Great. Um, so any other things, I know you mentioned a question we didn't quite get to, like maybe just kind of identifying that difference of like healthy relationship with exercise over exercise. Are there things that we didn't touch on that um, you see often and want people to look out for? Yeah, I think, well, you know, it's interesting as you just said that like healthy exercise versus over exercising. Um, it's a funny thing to think about like peak marathon season, um, both you and I are training for marathons yeah. <laughs> um, because I think the balance does shift sometimes, but I think the core sort of ideas are still the same. Like, again, can you be flexible? So maybe you have to shift things in a training cycle. Um, is it taking away from your life in a way that negatively impacts relationships or your work life? Um, is it the only way in which you can regulate your emotions? Mm-hmm. Is it your only activity that you do that you can find enjoyable? Um, so I think those are some of the big red flags um, that don't have to do with, with food and eating. Um, yeah, so. so many people say to me, oh my gosh, it must be like a second job. That's so much time. And I honestly don't feel that way. I'm like, oh, well, I'm... I like it. It works. And maybe it is because I'm flexible. Maybe it is because it's social, probably both. Um, well, and it brings yeah. you joy. Right, right. So if it is feeling like a job, then that in itself could be a red flag. Yeah, I've been this this training cycle really careful with myself when I think to myself, oh, I have to run whatever miles tomorrow. I sort of been really challenging myself. So like, I'm choosing to run tomorrow. Right. Right. That's a great shift. And it's, yeah, I have been very challenged by the heat that we had this summer and running in Austin. Oh my gosh. I was like, can I do this? Is this possible? (laughs) Yeah. 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 So I don't know if that answered your question totally, but that's kind of what was in my mind. No, I think it's great. Just like looking at, is this your everything for sure? So I think for the purpose of this episode, one question you and I can answer actually and maybe end on or whatever is what is the benefit of having a dietitian and a therapist? I love that. Yes. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. Yeah. So do you want to start? Should I start? You start. Okay. 
Um, <laughs> so dietitian for physical activity, exercise athletes is so important. Number one, because most people aren't eating enough. Athlete or not, most people aren't eating enough. And so especially if you're an athlete, just having someone who you can trust to guide you towards fueling adequately for your sport is key, as well as helping you plan meals, you know, post-workout, uh, pre-workout, post-workout, those times when maybe appetite is changing, having the balance of carbs, protein, fats, especially carbs. We love carbs. Like making sure that you're getting enough of those things that we get such mixed messages about. So, you know, I also love being a sounding board for just myths and questions. And well, I see all my friends doing this. Everyone on Instagram does this. Um, so the education and like building blocks of nutrition definitely are important as well as making sure you're doing it in an intuitive way. Like working with an intuitive eating sports dietitian, I think is obviously, I think is great. I'm an intuitive eating dietitian. I'm like, it's great. Um, but keeping that big picture, like we've been talking about kind of your why and that big picture and the goals and how to make things enjoyable for yourself as top priority, as well as looking for those red flags of things leaning towards a disordered way. And then, I mean, we have so much overlap, right, of like body image um, that you can talk about with both your dietitian and your therapist. And it can help to have a team that kind of brings everything together and multiple people who can steer you in the right direction by combining their expertise. Yeah, I think that's right. I think um, one of the things I always say too is, when you have the dietitian who is guiding you and giving you, um, you know, personalized suggestions and helping you along the way and learning, like you're saying, like some of those times to eat, even if you don't feel hungry, when your appetite is shifting, all of those things. Um, and then I think one of the benefits of having a therapist is because the the hurdles that people sometimes experience as we talked about the like, I know I should do this. Oh, I know I should do what Michelle told me to do, but I don't. Yeah. You know, I'm only doing half of it or whatever. Um, so I think a lot of that can get worked out in therapy. Um, or you get to dive a lot deeper in therapy when someone is talking specifically to you about food. It sort of like gives you an opportunity to talk about more deep thoughts or other thoughts um, that I also think is really helpful. Yeah, no, for sure. Because when somebody is talking to their therapist about their relationship with food. I mean, yes, it's important to talk about. And, you know, I always tell people like it's about the food and it's not about the food. Mm -hmm. So if you're talking only about the food, then you can't get to the stuff that's not about the food. <laughs> yes, exactly. I like, yeah, perfectly yeah. said. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really great point. Um, we make a great team. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> we do. Amazing. Yeah, so I think that is a, a great kind of wrap-up point. I do need to know, what is your favorite post-run meal? It's funny. I run in the mornings, so I usually just do a bagel with – I make it at home usually, so I do like butter, cream cheese, and eggs. Um, Ooh, all the topping. I See, yeah. I always think like, okay, either I'm doing the cream cheese bagel or like the bacon, egg, and cheese – both. That's great. Yeah. That's yeah. my, my, um, that's regular. my high school cafeteria. Here's a new idea for you. 
had this sandwich called a Frank White. I imagine Frank White at some point went to my high school, whoever he is. And it was a bagel with cream cheese and hash browns. Ooh, that does Which, sound like, really good. Actually sounds pretty good. I don't think I ever had it. I always brought my lunch to school, but maybe I'll have to make that. <laughs> yeah, that sounds really good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also a morning runner. So breakfast, that post-run brunch is like key. Yes. Yes. So good. Awesome. Yes. So can you tell everyone where they can find you, how they can keep up with you or work with you or your practice um, if they're interested? Yeah. So my practice website is intuitivepsychotherapynyc.com. My Instagram is embodiedpsychotherapist. I'd say those are the two primary ways right now to get in touch. Great. And I will link everything and have you tagged in all the social media so everyone can find you. Excellent. Thanks so much for having me on. This is so fun. Thanks for chatting. That is it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Stephanie. Definitely check out all the links in the show notes if you want to follow along with her, work with someone at her practice. Everything will be linked there. And tune in next time for our next conversation.